0: So short-sighted. It's different than near-sighted or far-sighted. I'm actually near-sighted, but I correct for the fact that I can't see distance, and so then I have to wear my sweet little. Do you see that? Now watch this. <laughs> <laughs> What? Isn't that cool? At any rate, okay, so, okay, it's not nearsighted, okay, it's, it, it's short-sighted, okay, it's not, been, but it borrows from the whole ocular world, right, it, it, it is this metaphor, right, that you lack in foresight, okay, lacking the ability to see things for the way they truly are. So, a short-sighted attitude would seek short-term profits over long-term stability. A uh, short-sighted individual would be when you choose to spend, in order to appear impressive, and then you have to put the Gulfstream G650 up for sale. Hashtag, we work. Wall Street Journal article for those. Short-sighted. Not paying attention to your personal health until you're 65. Short-sighted. This is short-sighted. When you do not see the implications of putting chicken on the counter. And then the kitties and the dog have a field day. And some are thinking... I thought chicken was bad for a dog. Raw poultry isn't. News alert to all of you that thought that. Short-sighted when you say yes, when you say yes to harmless flirting with someone who is not your spouse but you find attractive. Come on. Seriously, don't do that. Short-sighted when you pick a fight with the smallest NHL player, okay? The smallest NHL player is Nathan Gerby, okay? He's 5 foot 4 inches, okay? That's like Amy LaBar height. Okay. Five foot four inches. Okay. And, and he plays for the Columbus Blue Jackets. And this last week, uh, the Blue Jackets were going up against the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. Okay. Thank you very much. And, and Nathan Gerby takes out, takes out. Okay, Claude Garreau, who is the, the team captain for the Flyers, right? And so the enforcer, standing six foot three inches, Travis Sanheim, comes up and says, oh, you're going to pick on my captain. I'm going to pick on you. And then Nathan, giving up 11 inches, takes him out. <laughs> Rains blows on him. I mean, it's short-sighted. Don't pick on someone shorter than you. Apologies to you, Amy short-sighted. Isaiah, two chapters today, taking the story of Hezekiah to conclusion 598. Depending upon which way you go on this one, you already see which way I'm going on it, short-sighted. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order. You will die. You shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. What would you do? I mean, What would you do? There's a part of me that wants to view Hezekiah sympathetically. So if this came to us, if this came to me, if this came to you, what would you do? Now, for those of you that are uh, Old Testament scholars, you would say, okay, well, really this episode happens before the events of last week's episode, and there is some wrestling with that, again, with um, the scholars who study the work of Isaiah. But whether or not this happens before or after the uh, protection that Isaiah receives from, just one more time, right? The name that makes us drool. Come on, Sennacherib. I just love that. That might be the best one of all time, to be truthful with you. That just might be. What would you do? What would you do? What would you do if God said, okay, get your stuff in order. You're going to die. Now, those in the camp that that view the threat of Hezekiah's death and that threat that he is facing and and probably at this time Hezekiah does not yet have an heir and, and so those that view the threat that Hezekiah is facing with his impending death and want to view it favorably are, are thinking in terms of, okay, Hezekiah is looking at his life saying, hey, I don't have an heir, I don't have a spare, I don't have anything, okay? The, the Davidic line dies with me. This is an existential threat to the throne of David and the promises of God. And, and so God, you can't do this to me. And if you take that view, then we probably are likely to give Hezekiah a little space. But if you take the other view that Hezekiah is like, I'm in the prime of my life. Why are you taking me out now? You've got to be kidding me. No. No, there is so much more that I want to experience. If you take that view, then you may view his words a little less generously. And part of me wants to see the former, it really does, but the bigger part of me sees the latter, especially when it combines with what's described in chapter 39. But irrespective, of which view you take, what would you do? What would you do if God said, get ready? Would you say, I'm not ready, no thank you? I'll take a pass on the whole death thing, not interested in that, maybe at some point. Would you say, I need more time? Or would you say, I'm ready? Or would you say, I was looking for a life when I was born into this one? Take it any way you want. Some of us in this room have had near-death experiences. We've come face-to-face with an encounter that seems very familiar to this. And some of us in this room are under a diagnosis right now that shakens the very foundation of our physical lives. What would you do? A couple years ago, a friend of mine gave me a book, and I love books, and I love to read. I actually really, really do. I'm always a bit suspicious when someone hands me a book and says, read this. It's kind of like a half-drunk cup of coffee. You're like... Why would I drink half of your cup of coffee? Not quite sure. I'm always a little bit suspicious when someone hands me a book. It's not that I... So this book sat on my shelf for over two years, Atul Gawande, being mortal. And, and Atul Gawande, as best I know, isn't a follower of Jesus Christ, but, but he may be. Okay, I'm only about halfway through the book. But it asks the question, being mortal, okay? And specifically, it looks at uh, the healthcare that we experience in the United States of America and how, as we age... The healthcare is, is not really all that well equipped to deal with the realities of what a person wants as they grow old. It's an amazing book. Re- read it and, and think. Because this is a text that makes you think about that day. What would you do if God said, get ready? And as I said, some of us in this room have had this near-death experience, and some of this room right now are under a diagnosis right now that, that, that threatens our physical health. And all of us in this room, folks, all of us will die. All of us will die. So what would you do? What would you do? Get ready, be ready. Or a more short-sighted view of the, this doesn't really matter to me. What I love, and by love, I mean don't understand in any way, shape, or form. And view incredibly sarcastically. It is the guy who takes the pathway of ambivalence, okay? The guy who faces the reality, or is told the reality, that he will die. And it's like, eh. Now, that same guy would never, ever, ever think of letting his vehicle get beyond the service interval. Okay? That guy would never dream of letting his car go 5,001 mile, okay, and then get the oil change. Okay? He would get the oil change at 4,995 miles just so there's a little bit of space. This guy, okay, who's ambivalent about this question would never, ever, ever let his tread tire Get to even three thirty seconds, let alone two thirty seconds, which I don't understand why they don't just call it one sixteenth. Cause don't we reduce fractions anymore? A friend of mine last year, okay, walks up to my truck, not my friend Jeff, who actually put new tires on my truck, but he walks up to my truck and says, Wow, you're gonna want new tires before winter time comes. And he was right. I would need new tires before winter time comes, and I got new tires before winter time comes. But the guy who's concerned about the service interval of a vehicle and the tire tread depth, but goes, eh, when confronted with the reality that he will die someday, is, say it with me, short sighted. And, and you might be that guy. You might be that guy. You might run a fabulous business. You, You might take care of your stuff. You're the kind of guy that that the next guy wants to buy your used stuff more than he would want to buy new stuff because of the way you take care of it. You might be that guy. And when it comes to the 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 most critical question in all of life and death, you go ah. There's other ways that we can be short-sighted, right? I mean, we complain about the younger generation. I'm getting to the age of my life where I can start complaining about the younger generation. But what if I lived in such a way that was truly an example to the younger generation? And so they're like, no, I want to live like that guy. Or am I short-sighted and just complain about the younger generation and the fact that they don't live the way that I think that they should live? How do we not live in a way that's short-sighted? When we live with the sense that our spouse is not our priority, we're short-sighted. To quote the show The Crown, she is the job, boys. If you are married, if God has blessed you with a spouse, she is the job. What you, Your family is your legacy. You will one day stand before a holy God who will say, Hey, I gave this person to you. It was a gift. You did not earn it. What did you do? That's a jerk. <laughs> Great. This isn't hard stuff. And I'm not suggesting you need to go quit your job. But just live in such a day in light, in live in such a way in light of eternity, in in light of the fact that God says, here's the deal. It's not hard. This is just rational thought process. Of course, if you can't think rationally, it's hard to think rationally. And if you can't think rationally, maybe find someone who can, or just say, I need help. But for goodness sakes, don't be short-sighted. At any rate, he gets healed. Hezekiah turns his face to the Lord. Wall, please, Lord, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to Isaiah. Go and say to Hezekiah, thus says the Lord, the God of your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Behold, I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria and will defend this city. This shall be a sign to you from the Lord that the Lord will do this thing that he has promised. Behold, I will make the shadow cast by the declining sun on the dial of Ahaz turn back. Ten steps. Impressive. Sun's going the opposite direction now. So the sun turned back on the dial, the ten steps by which it had declined. And then comes this poem, right? And you can read it on your own time, but but you get a sense of it right off the bat. Okay, I said, Hezekiah is saying this, I said, in the middle of my days, probably this is a Hebrew euphemism for in the prime of my life, okay? I was at the zenith of my powers, okay? I was at the strength beyond all strength, and I was struck down, okay? And, and he makes this kind of a hey I'm happy I'm healed but a little bit of a lament and it's kind of this intriguing vibe and we can thank Hezekiah for his honesty and you can read the poem on your own what would you do with 15 more years so God says to you today get ready it's going to be done this week we're shutting it all down And you're like, no, I'm in the prime of my life. And God's like, okay, fine, sounds good. We'll give you 15 more years. What would you do with the 15 years? If you had 15 years starting today, what would you do with it? Would you live in such a way that your last check bounces? Okay, you know, wow, I got 15 years. Okay, I, t- I, take, I take the $50, divide them by 15, carry the one, subtract the two, and, and I get to the point where 15 years from now, boom, I'm out of cash, I'm done. And we would say that that kind of living would be short-sighted. And you'd be like, but no, it's my money. I get to do what I want with my money. Okay, okay if we have to have that discussion, we don't have enough time today. If we had 15 more years from today, if I could guarantee you have 15 more years from today, what would you do with it? Would we think in terms of what would I do with 15 more years? Or would we think in terms of what would God have me do with the next 15 years? And how can I use the time that is before me to prepare for the time that is to come? which, when you think about it, is really all of life. We we think our lives are our own, but they're not. They're a gift from God. Remember, we've talked about that. It's not a right, it's a gift. It's a gift from God. So how do we use the gift? And do we live in such a way that prepares us for that day, that time that is to come? How do we prepare for that day when when we live 24-7 with God? And for some of us, that frightens us, right? We're like, I can't imagine living 24-7 with God. You probably don't want to go to heaven then. I mean, if you don't want to experience the presence of God 24-7, then heaven's probably not the place for you. We've said it before. Uncle Willard told us heaven will be made available for anyone who can possibly stand it. If you don't want to be with God 24/7, yeah, then probably, probably heaven's not going to be a place for you. You'd probably say I'll self-select out right now. God's like, oh, it makes me sad, but I'll respect your choice. Are we preparing to live with God 24/7? Are we preparing to get ready for that day? Verse 39. Here's what Hezekiah does with the next 15 years. At that time, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he had heard that he had been sick and had recovered. And Hezekiah welcomed them gladly. And he showed them his treasure house, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his whole armory, and all that was found in the storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all the realm that Hezekiah did not show them. And the text goes on, right? And so I've made this kind of like little script, okay? So there's three players in this script. There's the Babylonians, there's Hezekiah, and there's Isaiah, okay? And I'll tell you who I'm playing based on who's speaking. The Babylonians start first. Hey, Hezekiah, congrats. Good work on the Assyrian front, and you are healed. You look well. Hezekiah, thanks. I'm feeling well. I've got 15 good ones in front of me. Want to see all my gold? (laughs) Babylonians are like, sure, we'd love to see your gold. Hezekiah, ever heard of saffron? The Babylonians, my mom made this saffron dish. She was from the land east of us. Any other spices? Hezekiah, yes, it's a regular cub foods in this place. I also have a sizable share in Costco. Babylonians, sweet and savory. Any military might? Hezekiah, let me give you a parade. Babylonians, wow, horses and chariots and spears and swords and helmets. See you in a couple years. Hezekiah, don't be a stranger. Babylonians, oh, don't you worry. We'll be looking for that saffron soon enough. It's amazing how even a little goes a long way. Isaiah enters the room. Uh, Who is that? Hezekiah. Just some friends who wanted to give me a a tip of the hat for being healthy and wealthy and instrumental in reducing the Assyrian aggression. Isaiah. um, What did you show him? Hezekiah. Well, basically everything that has monetary or military value. Isaiah. Not your best move. In fact, it's going to be theirs when you die. Hezekiah, well, at least I get 15 more years. Short-sighted. What do you do with the story, right? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. How does the story change your life? Or do you allow it to change your life? Or are you more concerned about your tire tread depth? are we more defined by an event that lies in our past? Are we more defined by the identities that we seek to secure? Or are we preparing for that which is future? That which will be our future? And I understand at a level that this is a bit of a cognitive exercise, right? But, but it also incorporates a supernatural reality. It's a willingness that each of us have to say, maybe I'm not living the way that I should, and I don't know how to change. And so we ask for God to do a supernatural thing in our lives, We ask for a change in our point of view. We ask for a change in our priorities. And sometimes God really throws an apple. The whole apple cart gets upset. But most of the time God whispers, Live for me today. Follow me today. Prioritize your life based on the values that I value. Mostly God says, don't be short-sighted. Please pray with me. It's a day we're all going to face, folks. And for some of us, it's going to come quicker than for others. In Hezekiah's defense, he didn't know what we know. He had the promise of Jesus, but not the identity of Jesus. He had the prophecies telling of a future day. But history has revealed to us the risen Lord. And because of him, our security, our future is secure. And so I challenge you with the confidence that comes from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to not be short-sighted, to follow God, to live for God, to reprioritize life in light of eternity. Ask God for a miracle. Ask God to supernaturally change your life.